the Black Archives Hall of Fame, and on and on and on, because they just live lives of sacrifice and generosity. So please join me in welcoming my friends, Sheila and Kinsey Gilbert, this morning. Good morning, Wellspring. I'm Kinsey. This is my wife, Sheila. We are the founders of Food for Kids. And I don't talk that very much, so I'm going to turn it over to my wife, Sheila, <laughs> because she's the talker. Well, thank you very much. <clears throat> First of all, we just really would love to thank each and every one of you all. If I can just come and give everyone a hug, I would. If I had something in my pocket just to share with everyone, I would. But before I leave, I really would like to bless you all with a song. We are so grateful with everyone that has went in their pockets. Uh, members have come out pastor uh, with their friends, their siblings, their cousins, and have what the young people say, turned it up on that corner with Food for Kids. We have had a great time. These children need more than food, and they come out, and they just do arts and craft. They do all type of obstacle courses with them. They read to them. They play ball with them. They even love on them. They put them in their carts and take them to their homes. They let them use their pools. They, the kids' parents even uh, love on these children. Food for Kids has really blown our mind, and we're so grateful that Wellsprings is part of this because when you all supply the chips and um, the lunches on Fridays, so many things. Uh, uh, Stacy has was the one that encouraged us to get our five hundred one c three. She came to sit on at our uh, dinner table and just really talk, and we felt the love right there. And it's just so much. I don't like to call names because there's so many people in here has been a big part of Food for Kids. And we look for you all. And when you all come, it gives us an opportunity to sit back and let the Lord use your gift and your talents to these kids out here because we don't know who we're serving. It could be your next judge. It can be your next president. It can be your neighbor. It can be the one who has to wipe Give you a glass of water when you're thirsty. We don't know where we're going to be tomorrow. Actually, we don't know where we're going to be in the next few minutes. I had a friend was in church uh, last year, and she get, was getting her praise on, and she had a stroke. So we don't know from day to day, and that's why the songs, the prayers, we all really need to be just off into the Lord because the time is coming near and things are not the way they used to be. So we just want to let you all know how grateful we are that you all are part of Food for Kids. And the turkey drive, we thank you all. It snowed out there the day before and it snowed on that day. People were in their cars. They were so cold, but they still came out and got the turkeys and all the trimmings. And I don't know if y'all know, but Miss Stacy Curran, she delivered a powerful message. And for the people to receive that out there, that was wonderful. We love you all, and we thank you all very, very much. And we always look forward to anyone out here to have a gift or a talent. Come on out there. We need men and women very, very bad, only for an hour. If you can capture 
a, a person's attention for an hour, you're doing kingdom building, and God want to use you. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what condition you're in. If you just feel it in your spirit that you have something to share, call me. Get in contact with me. I'll put you down. We out there for 96 days, and it's 96 people. I know God can use one hour, one day, every day. So uh, just come out and do your thing, and God will be glorified. And we're gonna, we are getting ready to go out of town with our church. Well, we'll be leaving in an hour or so. So when we finish speaking, if we leave, I'll forgive us. It's not that we don't want to be in the service. We just made a prior commitment. So I want to share this song with you all, and I really, really mean it from my heart. <clears throat> my soul loves Jesus, I've been through a lot in my life, and God has turned my life around. My soul loves Jesus. My, my, my soul loves Jesus. Bless his holy name. He's a wonder. Yes, he is. In my soul. God is so good, family. He's a wonder. In my soul. He's a wonder in my soul. Bless his name. He's my savior. He saved me from all types of things in my soul. Oh, yes, he's my savior. In my life, he's my savior. In my life, bless his name. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. y'all happy holidays and thank you awesome thank you guys so much one of the great privileges of wellspring and the value that we really have is that um, the things that we're involved in, the things that we give money to, are not, don't have to all be our things. 
right? So we're constantly looking around for who's, who's God using in our neighborhood, in our community that we can just come alongside and maybe put a little wind in their sails, encourage them a little bit. And so it's been a, a real blessing to do that with the Gilberts, with uh, the Warrens that we got to meet last week. I can't wait um, for Allie Browning, who's going to come and share next week about her ministry, and then Sam about the guest house the next week. I can't, I can't wait to hear them sing. Um, <laughs> yeah, because that, that's a thing now. So you tell us about your ministry, you sing a song. So I'm pumped, man. I can't wait for that. Yeah. Hey, hey, you want some help? It's going to cost you, right? Bring a song. Um, hey, so, so this uh, series that we're working on here during Advent, um, Son of God, Son of Man, we started it last week. Um, this morning, I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 John. Uh, they're in the very back, almost. Um, chapter 1, it's page 1116. First John, chapter 1, we're going to look at the first four verses. John writes this. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So in the opening stanza of his letter, the youngest of Jesus' disciples, John, makes some pretty amazing claims. He says, first of all, that Jesus was in the beginning, that he's eternal, um, that he's God. But then John shifts very quickly talking about Jesus' humanity. He writes, he says, we heard him, we saw him, we touched him. And in case there's any question about John's testimony, if you didn't notice, he said we saw him four different times in the first three verses. Basically, he's saying, listen, this is no fairy tale, people. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus was a real thing. We experienced it with, with all of the senses that God gave humanity. We engaged in that. It's like John is building a case before a jury, trying to wipe out any doubt anyone might have about the, the true identity and the nature of his Savior, Jesus. Jesus was fully human. And as we established last week, because of that, he gets us. He gets us. He understands every aspect and facet of the human experience. And because of that truth, we looked at a couple verses in Hebrews chapter 4, right? Hebrews 4.15 said this, he empathizes with our weaknesses. He empathizes with our weakness. And because of that empathy, verse 16 went on to say, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need, Right? Thank you, Jesus, for that. That is good news. Our, our Savior gets us. And that's where we kind of left off last week as we began looking at this dual reality, this dual nature of Christ being fully God and fully man all at the same time. So this past week, I was um, <clears throat> doing laundry. I, I do a lot of laundry around our house. And um, Laundry is kind of a brainless activity for the most part, right? So I'm folding clothes, 
And I'm thinking about this message and what I wanted to share with you this week and kind of the angle maybe that I wanted to take. And it's like the Holy Spirit just kind of shot a lightning bolt into my mind while I was there in the laundry room. And this is the thought that, that kind of struck me in that moment is that Jesus entered this world like every other person has. He was born to a father and a mother and he was placed into a family. And that's what it means to be human, right? To be born, to be, to be placed into this family structure. Jesus had a mom, a dad, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, cousins, John the Baptist being probably the most famous of his cousins. He had ancestors, the Gospels of Matthew and Luke go into great detail about his genealogy and, and, and all the folks that came before him, thousands of years of Jewish relatives mixed in with a few Gentiles, some stories a little bit more seedier than others, right? He had, he had some crazy stuff in his, his lineage, just like we probably all do, all the way back to his first parents, Adam and Eve. Jesus was placed into a family. And as the dryer kind of hummed and spun round and round, I started thinking about the implications of that reality. Being a part of a family added layers of complexity to Jesus' life, just like it does for each one of us, because families can be weird. Right? Can I get an amen there? Amen. Yes. Okay, so weird. This is just, just for fun, guys. Uh, I went and looked up just, just weird church directory family photos, okay? So here's, here's a few of our brothers and sisters in Christ, if you can put that first slide up. Hey, let's bring our cat and our accordion to the family photo, right? Next one. Let's bring three cats. The church will love that, right? This is awesome, okay? Because you're, you're kind of drawn towards the crying baby, but check out older sister, right? Underneath, she's got like a cattle prod into her little sibling or something. She's like, I'm the guilty one, right? Or how about this? Yeah, my favorite. Mom can't even look. <laughs> That's so hilarious. Anyways, so... Weird stuff, right? Families. Um, and I just thought, you know, wouldn't it have been so much easier for the Savior to come and kind of be unencumbered by the junk of having to be a part of a family? Like, that just seems like that would have been an easier plan for God. When you meditate on, on it for a moment, then you can quickly see the incredibly patient and slow and intentional process of Jesus' messiahship. He lived life as a son, a brother, a friend. He lived in a hometown with neighbors and teachers and rabbis in his local synagogue. This perfect, holy God-man doing life day in and day out with greedy Jealous, lustful, selfish, prideful, 
family and friends for 30 years. 30 years. That baby that we talk about, you know, it's kind of like when you're reading the Gospels, it goes from like baby to full-grown adult pretty quickly, right? But that baby grew up and lived life. And the whole time as he was doing that, day after what I'm sure was monotonous day, he was doing it in the context of community and family. He was connecting, engaging, forgiving, loving. And the whole time also concealing his true identity. Because it wasn't until he was 30 years old that he, that he kind of came out and said, hey, I'm God. And he did that intentionally because in Jewish society, you didn't become a rabbi, rabbi until you were 30. So Jesus kind of played by the rules limited himself for a time, and then came forward and said, hey, I've got a ministry to play here. And as Jesus left his family and and struck out on his own, he began this public ministry, and he went around, and he began teaching and healing and loving people from town to town. And, And as his notoriety grew, when he would go into a new city, he would be just mobbed by a crowd of desperate people, primarily wanting to be healed. Everything had changed so quickly, and Jesus' family was slow to get on board. Slow to accept that their son, their brother, was God. And life got messy. Family life got messy. How messy? We're going to look at a couple examples. Take your Bibles out. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 3. It's page 911. So this is kind of early on in Jesus' ministry. Mark chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 20 and 21. It says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. That's a real vote of confidence from the family, huh? Hey, Jesus, come with us. Yeah, yeah, you're insane. This has got to stop. You're making us look like fools out here parading around, right? A little later in the story, we see the family pop up again. If you want to flip over to John chapter 7, page 972. John 7, verses 1 through 5 says this. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders uh, there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you were doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. So this whole thing is supposed to be read kind of with a... Uh, a spirit of kind of sarcasm, right? Hey, you're such a big deal. No, go on down there where the crowd is. Make yourself known. Do the miracles down there. So even his own family doubted him. Now, to be fair, it was a big stretch for their human minds to, to believe that, that their son and their brother was God. This guy they'd grown up with all those years in Nazareth now was actually God in the flesh, there's a saying that says, uh, you've probably heard before, familiarity breeds contempt, right? What, is that, what does that phrase mean, that saying? 
Let's not make this difficult. Yes, Stacy. Okay, so when you see something every day, um, it just seems ordinary, so you can't see, uh, see the potential extraordinariness in it. Yeah, okay, that's good. So what town, here's another question. So obviously his family, was, it was familiar. Jesus was familiar to them. Um, what town was Jesus run out of and almost pushed off a cliff? Anyone? His hometown. All right, if you haven't read that story, he goes into his home synagogue, back to, he comes back, should be like a big parade for Jesus. I mean, he's, he's out there on the road doing amazing things. He comes home, sits down in church, reads and tells them, hey, I'm the Messiah that they talked about in Isaiah. I've come to set the captives free and give sight to the blind. I'm that guy. And what do they do? Oh, that's nice. And they try to run him out of a cliff and kill him. <laughs> Welcome home, right? Thanks for your support. So tying himself, tying himself to a family, to a community, added heartache to Jesus' life. He was doubted. He was called crazy, which on the one hand is a little bit sad, but another perspective to, to look at that is, is like, well, it's kind of a little bit of a relief, right? Because again, he, he gets us. He gets the challenges that a lot of us had to overcome as we came to Christ at whatever point in your life and maybe you didn't have a believing family and you're trying to live this new life and, and change and become more like Christ and your family was there to, to build you up. Oh, you think you're special? You're not better than us just because you go to church now. And they remind us of who we once were, Right? Oh, yeah, you're a real Christian, you know, last year when you were filling the blank. And some of our deepest wounds were given to us by people who should have been loving us the most. And he understands those conversations that a lot of, of you young people have uh, with your parents. Maybe you came to Christ through Young Life or whatever. And you've got these big dreams and like, hey, there's this mission trip coming up. And you, and you tell your folks and like, yeah, I'm going I'm to have to raise a thousand bucks, but I'm really excited about it. Or, hey, I want to go to work at Young Life Camp this summer and it's, it's, I'm going to be gone for a month and I'm not going to get paid, but I really think it's going to be a good thing for me. Or, or hey, I want to do that church internship this summer, but, but again, there's not a lot of money involved in that. And, and, and then your parents come back with all the reasons why that's not a good idea for you to do that. And you walk away frustrated and discouraged at times and then you come to church and you get to hear the fun verses about hey honor your father and mother and you're thinking but jesus you don't know how crazy my family is and jesus says oh yeah i do i know exactly what you're talking about because it happened to me too and he gets it jesus being the son of man fully human meant that he was part of a nuclear family. And guys, he didn't run away from home. He didn't run away from home. Mom, dad, brothers and sisters, the whole dysfunctional mess. And to be honest, if you've read the Old Testament, the Old Testament is a, is a manifesto on dysfunctional families. You think your family's jacked, read the Bible. It is a mess. I'm embarrassed reading it sometimes, like these are the people that we're trying to follow, right? It's crazy. It's messed up. 
He gets it, guys. But I think this truth, this reality of Jesus being connected to a family also teaches us a lot about his character. He values those relationships. As much heartache as sometimes and frustration as his family caused him, when he walked to the cross and when he took his last breath, his mom was there. After his death and resurrection, ascension into heaven, you know who some of his greatest advocates were? His brothers. His brothers became some of the the greatest leaders in the early church to the point where they were willing to lay their life down for their brother Jesus. As we strive to reflect the heart and ministry of Christ during this Advent season, and as we meditate on what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, to be like him, we must understand that Christmas is about engaging family. It's about engaging community. Jesus wasn't a lone ranger. He wasn't this mysterious, abandoned baby who was just left on the steps of the temple. He wasn't some kind of individual entity disconnected from God's created order for humanity to live in family. He was tied to a specific people, Joseph and Mary, his brothers James, Jude, and Simon, and sisters as well. And then he also expanded the view of family by saying that anyone who does the will of my father, they are my brother, sister, and mother as well. So to celebrate the incarnation, God taking on flesh then, is to embrace the reality that we were all placed in an earthly family. Whether we like it or not, that's God's design. And as frustrating as our family can be at times, the first ministry that we have is to share the love of Christ with those nearest to us. Even if they reject it. Because it took a while for even Jesus' family to come around. And on a larger scale, when we came to know Christ, we were all grafted into this heavenly family. We became sons and daughters of the king. And everyone who follows Jesus is now our brother and sister. And we are to patiently love them, extending grace and truth. Just like Jesus did with his siblings, sometimes he had to tell his family, hey, step off. I'm in charge here, not you guys. And, and my father has a plan, and I'm following it no matter what you guys say. Other times he had to extend unbelievable grace and patience and love them through their own seasons of doubt and grief. So what's the takeaway today? Well, for me, it was this. It's this word ordinary. Ordinary. Guys, we read the Gospels, and it's like, you know, three years of, of power-packed, exciting action. And the part that probably wouldn't sell a lot of books is the, you know, 27 or 8 years that he was in Nazareth, just a part of a family going about his day. And it's not spectacular, and there weren't a bunch of spotlights on him, there weren't many crowds watching him patiently love and come alongside and care for and who knows what, change the diapers of his younger siblings. I mean, all of the most mundane tasks that you can imagine, Jesus did. And so sometimes as we go into the Advent season and, and we, we want it to feel like, woohoo, spectacular, and we're looking around and our days are just kind of ordinary. You know, we got sick kids <laughs> and bills to pay and 
to enter into the ordinary, guys, to love the people that God has placed right before you, right around you, day in and day out, is to reflect him, his full humanity with people. And so I just want to encourage you as we go through the process that we aren't just focused on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, right? That, that we have this opportunity leading up to it, kind of like those 30 years that are, that are kind of buried in secrecy a little bit to get to the, the great stuff, right? But all that stuff built up is, is the important stuff of where Jesus develops his character. It's where we and our character come out as well is how do we love those that God has placed in our midst day in and day out to be like him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your design and your plan for mankind, Lord, that you placed us in families with a mom and a dad. And I mean, I 